Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Good morning, River's Edge. We are continuing in our series through the book of Ephesians. Uh, So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and we'll pick up there in a moment. Uh, We had a great uh, morning uh, as a church this Sunday morning, but uh, as happens now and again, we uh, somehow lost the podcast. So I'm going to re-record the teaching uh, as best I can. Uh, By way of reminder, uh, Paul spent the first three chapters in Ephesians unpacking uh, who God is, what God has done for us, and who we are in return. God has chosen us, Paul says, saved us by grace through faith, and blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And as a result, you are now a new creation, a new person who is part of the body of Christ or the one new humanity. And all of that is what God has done and who he's made you to be. But the second half of Ephesians is all about how you walk out your identity in everyday life. So we'll pick up in Ephesians 5, verse 21, and I believe one of our friends from the Philippines will be reading the verses for us this morning. Everyone, I'm Charlene, and I'm currently serving at Grace City Fellowship Philippines. So for today, just want to read Ephesians 5, verse 19 until 6, verse 9. So it says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave up and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In Ephesians 6, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them, bring them up in the training and in instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them only to win their favor when obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. Lastly, and masters, treat yourselves in the same in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism within him. So let's pray. Father God, thank you God for today. Thank you God for the River's Edge Church. Thank you God for building and planting a church in Spokane, Washington, USA, Father God. Father God, we want to pray for all the people, for all the church members in Spokane, USA, in Rivers Edge Church, that we will continue to fill them with your Holy Spirit, Father God. Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in that church, and that they will continue to be allied to the people around them, Father God, to the neighborhoods surrounding them, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus. We want to pray, Lord God, that you will continue to bind them with your love, with your grace, and with your mercy, Panginoon, and that each one, Panginoon, will just serve wholeheartedly. God, doing everything in love. Lord, thank you, God, for their lives. May you to bless them abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we near the end of Paul's letter, he gives instructions for Christian households, how we ought to live within the family unit. You're a new creation now, Paul says, and you have a new self to put on, a new identity to live out. You're part of a new family, the family of God. And that truth should be reflected and embodied and lived out in your households. And in fact, if you live this out at home, it's going to lead to healthy relationships and healthy marriages and healthy families. And that in, in turn, uh, those families and, and couples and individuals will then turn around and meaningfully participate in the body of Christ. And here's the secret, Paul says, chapter 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first question right off the bat is who is submitting to who? Well, in Paul's view, everyone is submitting to everyone. Earlier in this chapter, he said, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. And so we all are to clothe ourselves in the love and humility of Christ, and then we carry that into all of our relationships, particularly within the home. Everyone should take a posture of love and respect toward one another. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters, Paul says. And I'll say a quick word about each. First, 
slaves and masters. Uh, Because Paul mentions masters and slaves without simultaneously calling for the abolition of slavery, uh, some have assumed that Paul is somehow okay with slavery or that he is condoning it. Uh, But first, we have to understand that the slavery Paul is talking about is not the American slavery that most of us are picturing in our minds. So in many cases, uh, slaves and servants in Paul's context uh, functioned more like employees and employers. And there was uh, some evil embodied within it. In fact, uh, I I think of it, Paul writes in one of his letters that, hey, slave masters uh, cannot expect to inherit the kingdom of God, because there's an, there's an evil behind that. Or I'm sorry, slave traders will not inherit the kingdom of God. But in many cases, uh, you would have someone who was uh, in need, and they would go to someone with expendable income and place themselves within that household as a slave or a servant in exchange for food and lodging. So uh, like anything, there's, there's an evil side to this. But in the whole, as you think about ancient slaves and masters in Paul's context, we're not thinking of chattel slavery from the southern United States with all of the horror and racism that accompanied it. Uh, In many cases, you have to think more along the lines of an employer who had a little too much power. But here's the point. In-home slaves or servants powered the ancient world. They made it tick. They were to the ancient world what electricity is to the modern world, a vital part of everyday life. And they lived within the home and in some cases were as close as family members. So as Paul is talking about the kingdom of God in your family, in this context, he has to address the relationship between slaves and masters as well, because they were right there in the mix. But translated into the modern experience, the verses that Paul wrote might sound something like this. Employees, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor or to get promoted when their eye is on you, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free." And so there's a sense in which Paul's saying, hey, I don't care if your boss is awesome or lame. Don't cut corners. Don't backbite. Don't undercut. Don't cheat. Don't do as little as possible to skate by. Instead, serve Christ with love and humility. And then he goes on. This is, this is my translation of verse 9. He would say, and employers, treat your employees in the same way. Do not threaten them or abuse your position, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. In other words, it doesn't matter where the world puts them in the hierarchy. They are image bearers of God, and you should clothe yourself with humility as you deal with them. Show them love and respect. God doesn't care what your title is or how much money you make. 
It doesn't matter. Saying submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the same way, there should be a humility and a harmony of relationship between parents and their children. And so Paul writes, Hey, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Unless, of course, you're a teenager in which you get a free pass. And of course, I'm joking. But he goes on, verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If slaves and masters are treating each other with dignity and respect, there will be a harmony in that relationship. If children are honoring their parents and fathers are not exasperating their children, but rather bringing them up in the way of Jesus, my goodness, there will be incredible harmony in the home. This is what it looks like for the kingdom of God, <clears throat> excuse me, to touch and color and transform life in the family. But most noticeably, Paul takes aim at the marriage relationship and what will bring harmony to that relationship. And his words on this topic have become controversial. But because the bulk of the verses are on harmony in marriage, and because they are often misunderstood, that is where we're going to focus the remainder of our time. And I recognize, uh, as we dive into this, that half of our church is unmarried. Uh, I assume that at least half of our listeners are unmarried. But to the unmarried half, I would say this. <clears throat> Statistically speaking, most of you will be married one day. And if any of you are called to lifelong singleness, first off, no one will be as excited as the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. And secondly, the concepts which we are about to unpack go way beyond the marriage relationship, and I think you'll see why in just a second. So first, let's uh, reread the verses. Paul has just finished telling the, the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit, which is the only way that any of this will be possible. And then he says, hey, as you're being filled with the Spirit of Christ, everyone submit to everyone out of reverence for Christ. But verse 22, there's a special call here. He says, wives, Submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he goes on to explain in verse 26 and beyond uh, the radical nature of loving your wife just as Jesus loves us. And then finally, Paul ends this section on marriage with this verse summarizing his thoughts on this topic. This is verse 33. He says, however, in light of everything I've just said, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. 
Husbands, lovingly serve and lead your wives, and wives, lovingly serve your husbands and follow his leadership. Honor him as he leads you in following after Jesus. I do not have time this morning uh, to unpack the sheer beauty and genius of this design. Nor do I have time this morning to unpack the layers of controversy and misunderstanding surrounding the text. God is not calling anyone to submit to tyranny or abuse. That is not what this is about. This is not about agreeing to some kind of a patriarchal society where women are viewed as subservient to men. On the contrary, the Bible views women as gifted, valued co-heirs in the kingdom. So that's not what Paul is saying. Instead, Paul is speaking about a marriage in which both people are filled with the Spirit of God and taking on a posture of love, humility, and submission to one another. And if both parties are doing that, it then creates this environment in which husband and wife experience the fullness of God's intention for marriage. And in the midst of that environment, God is calling every couple to live out this relational pattern. He says, husbands, love your wives and wives respect your husbands. Husbands, lovingly lead your wives, and wives, lovingly serve your husbands and follow his leadership. Honor him as he leads the family in following after Jesus. And if that uh, language of leadership is confusing or off-putting to some of you, I want you to think about responsibility. I am uniquely responsible for the welfare of our family and the direction of our family in a way that my wife is not. I carry a weight and responsibility that she doesn't. Does my wife point me toward Jesus and lead me toward Jesus? Praise the Lord. Yes, she does. Of course she does. She helps me in, in my greatest moments and, and brings me, places my hand in his. Does she have a vision for leading our children toward Jesus? Absolutely. Her vision is better developed than my own. And, and that's beautiful. But it doesn't change the fact that the ultimate responsibility for the welfare of our family, financially, spiritually, emotionally, falls on me. And I don't care if my wife is a stay-at-home mom, or if she's the president of a company, or if she's the president of the United States. It doesn't change the fact that that ultimate responsibility falls on me to, to, to care for the family, to lead it forward. Now, 2,000 years ago, this was radical because of its call on the life of a husband. No one in the ancient world was telling husbands to love their wives, let alone to love them as Christ loved the church. Uh, fast forward 2,000 years, and now we live in a culture that sees much of this as um, backward and even harmful to the wives. But I want to pause for a moment before we close and examine why this call on husbands and wives is as relevant today as it has ever been. A recent study done by the University of Washington followed 2,000 couples for a period of 20 years. 
The observations and the data they collected was extensive, but when all was said and done, this secular study concluded that there are two keys to a healthy marriage, love and respect. Now, in the Bible, men and women are equal in their value. And in fact, when it comes to this topic of love and respect, both men and women need both equally. Men need love and respect. Women need love and respect. But in this passage, Paul makes it very clear that men are to agape, love their wives, and women are to respect their husbands. Interesting. He doesn't just say, hey, everyone love and respect everyone else. No. He places a special call on the wives to respect their husbands and a special call on the husbands to love their wives. Both need both, but the call is different. And interestingly enough, recent findings in psychology support Paul's analysis. One recent study found that in marital conflict, this is in the midst of a fight, 83% of men said they primarily felt disrespected, 83%. And 72% of the women said they primarily felt unloved. What does that mean? It means that in the midst of the very same fight, most females are upset because they are feeling unloved, and the vast majority of men are upset because they are feeling disrespected. Meaning that the greatest felt need of the man is to feel respected and the greatest felt need or desire of the woman is to feel loved. Emerson Egridge is a well-known author and speaker who devoted his life uh, to starting this ministry called Love and Respect, in which he explores this concept from Ephesians 5. And he talks about something that he calls the crazy cycle. He says, quote, when men feel that they are being treated with a lack of respect, they respond to their wives in a way that feels unloving. And when women feel they are being treated with a lack of love, they respond in a way that feels disrespectful to their husbands. And he says, hey, without respect, he reacts without love. And without love, she reacts without respect. And the two feed off of each other. Suddenly, they are spiraling out of control. Have you ever been in an argument or a fight with your spouse when you realize that what you're fighting about isn't actually what, you, what started the conversation? Suddenly, you've spun off in this other direction, and, and you're not actually upset about the subject that was brought. You're actually upset at, at your spouse. And, and Emerson Egrich calls this the crazy cycle, um, that without respect, he reacts without love, and that without love, she reacts without respect. And, and she doesn't mean for him to feel disrespected. That's not her aim. That's not her goal. But she feels unloved. And she reacts accordingly. And as she does, he doesn't mean to act unlovingly toward her, but he feels disrespected. And so he naturally responds. You know what men typically do when they feel disrespected? They shut down. They stonewall. They withdraw, myself included. 
The University of Washington in that same study found that 85% of all stonewalling in the 2000 relationship studied was male. 85%. It's how they respond to disrespect. The vast majority of those men aren't going to wear their heart on their sleeve or come to their spouse in tears. They stonewall. They, they shut down. Hey, I don't want to talk about this. Hey, I'm out. I'm stand up, walk out of the room, go to the garage, go, you know, do yard work, whatever it is. They're stonewalling. But do you know how that's perceived by the average wife? She says, ah, oh, he's being cold. He's being distant. He's being unloving. He's withdrawn. We need to talk about this right now. Where are you going? Stop. What, what a bad husband. And, and as she responds to his stonewalling, unknowingly, she's typically going to respond in a way that communicates further disrespect. And on it goes. Ladies, your husband would die for you so long as you don't kill him first. You want to kill your husband's spirit? You want to crush his heart? Tell him that you can't respect him. Tell him that you don't trust his leadership. Tell him that he is not worthy of honor. Tell him how bad he is at providing. Tell him that you don't think much of him and that most other people don't either. You will crush him and he might never cry, but you will never get his best. He will never become the man he was meant to become. He needs your love to be sure, but he actually has an even greater felt need that you can fulfill. He wants your respect. He wants you to honor him for who he is apart from any performance or provision. Will you honor his heart? Will you respect him for who he is? It might not be your most natural impulse. Uh, perhaps love for many of you will come more naturally. But as surely as there is a crazy cycle, there is a biblical cycle of beauty that moves in the other direction. If you genuinely respect him, then the most natural response from his heart, from the heart of your husband, will actually be to love you in return. And husbands, your wife will flourish under your love. It might not be the most natural impulse. Perhaps respect will come more naturally to you. But as you love your wife, as Christ loved the church, as you lay your life down for her, as you move toward her in love, in openness, in vulnerability, then something in her spirit comes to life. You want to crush your wife's spirit? Tell her you don't love her. Tell her that she isn't lovable. Tell her that you aren't drawn to her on any level. Tell her that you aren't really that committed to the relationship. It will crush her. You do that to your wife and you will never get her best. You will never see her become the woman of God that she was intended to become.
But as surely as her spirit will be crushed by a lack of love, it will flourish as you meet her God-given desire for love. And if she feels loved, I promise you it will be all the more natural for her to respond to you with respect. The two feed off of each other. And so Paul says, hey, everyone submit to everyone. But wives, make a special point to honor and respect your husbands. If you do, your husband will flourish. And husbands, hey, make a special point to love your wives like Christ loved the church. Because when you do, you'll be speaking each other's language. And yet, 2,000 years later, we take a very different approach to this passage. A modern reading sounds something like this. Hey, husbands, love your wives. Duh. Uh, Of course, husbands have to love their wives. Then we get to to the next bit and it says, hey, wives, submit to, honor, respect your husbands. We say, well... That part is a little outdated. That's, man, I think that was just Paul teaching in an ancient Roman context. That really doesn't have any bearing today. And and so essentially, through the lens of of our current culture, we read through this entire passage and, and come out the other end saying, hey, husbands, love your wives, and wives, don't misunderstand the parts of Scripture that are outdated. Really? Or we'll say, hey, wives, it's now the 21st century, so you forget about all that other stuff and just love your husbands in return. Here's the problem, ladies. Never once in all of the New Testament are wives commanded to love their husbands. Not once. Here's the other problem with that mentality. Men will serve and die for honor. We will die for it. And one of the many layers of complication when we approach a passage like this is that we live in a culture inside and outside of the church that more or less says, hey, if men could just act like women, then everything would get better. If men were to act like like women, and speak like them, and feel like them, and love like them, and express their feelings like them, and stop being so male, then we'd be fine. And and our culture will criticize the male need for respect as something narcissistic, and egotistic, and, and misogynistic. Hey, why should they need honor and respect? Why can't they just want what women want? But that's not how we're wired. And as men, when we honor and respect one another, there's nothing narcissistic or or egotistical about it. We will serve and die for honor. It, It motivates us. It softens us. It opens up our hearts. And we are de energized by disrespect and contempt. And so on the one hand, you have Paul saying, hey, respect your husbands, honor their imperfect but Christ-centered leadership. 
And on the other hand, you have a culture and sometimes even a church culture, which will say to men, you are not to be respected and you are inadequate because you're not responding like women in, in these sentimental or sensitive ways. You need to change is the message that often gets sent to men. And so there's this sense, which is sometimes subtle and sometimes not so subtle, in which men are being shamed for being men. But any current or future wife who's listening will have to decide this for themselves. You are called within the marriage relationship to meet a need given to your husbands by God. Is that okay? Is it okay that God made your husband with a need that's different from your own? Will you honor that need by honoring him or will you go the other direction? And you can ignore that need. You can stigmatize that need. You can even trample on that need, but it changes nothing. It's still there. Instead, Paul says, hey, respect your husband. Honor him apart from any performance. Men, likewise, he says, hey, love your wives as Christ loved the church apart from any performance. And the two will feed off each other. Who goes first in all of this? Who takes the first step off of the crazy cycle and into Ephesians 5? The answer is whoever is more mature in Christ. A mature man in Christ will find a way to love even when he's not getting respect. And a mature woman in Christ will respect even when she isn't feeling particularly loved. And and if you do that, Just watch what happens. Watch how things change. Watch your spouse soften and and come to life. When my wife and I fight, I have all of this stuff in the back of my mind. I'm wondering, hey, how can I get at the problem that's come up without creating another problem? How can I communicate this to my wife in a way that doesn't feel unloving? I'm thinking that as, as, we, as we disagree with each other, as we enter conflict. And she's on the other side thinking, hey, how can I communicate this to my husband in a way that doesn't communicate disrespect? And we have uh, so much room to grow in this. But I tell you what, when we fail at it, it's not uncommon for the other person to say, either in the midst of the argument or afterward, to say, hey, I, I really didn't feel respected during that conversation. For my wife to say that, I really didn't feel loved. You know what would make me feel loved is fill in the blank. Hey, when you speak like this, I actually feel really disrespected. Or or in my most mature moments, I might pause in my anger when I get that impulse to just stonewall or walk out of the room. In my most mature moments, I'll pause and just say, hey, I'm feeling really disrespected right now. And just try and communicate that as calmly as I can uh, to my wife. Or I'm thinking, hey, how can I say this to my wife without sounding unloving? I don't want her to feel unloved. How can I say this in a way that gets at the problem, but is, it, it communicates love? And so we're, we're learning. We're learning to do that. And, and we're learning each other. And so I know that if the house is a mess and I'm hosting a church event in our home for the third night in a row, that my wife will feel deeply unloved. 
She will feel not seen, not heard, not cared for. I know that I can show her love by, and by caring for her environment and helping her feel sane with three young kids at home. Uh, and on the flip side, my wife knows that if she comes out swinging and communicates criticism in a strong and sharp tone, that I instantly feel inadequate. I feel uh, attacked. I feel disrespected. And so both of us work day in and day out, not that we enter marital conflict every day, um, but a couple times a week or whatever it is, as we're entering into these conflicts, we're working day in and day out to show one another love and respect. Abby and I are constantly submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. As she attempts to communicate respect and I attempt to communicate love at the same time. In this, as wives respect their husbands and husbands respect their wives, as children honor their parents and parents lovingly guide their children in the way of Jesus, as employees and employers and the haves and the have-nots all honor one another out of reverence for Christ, as we are filled with the Spirit and live out our true identities in Christ, there is this deep and meaningful harmony that begins to pervade all our relationships as God's kingdom comes and God's will is done in this place as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, uh, I pray for uh, the families that are represented and listening. Uh, God, I pray that um, you would bring in the power of your spirit a new harmony to the family uh, as everyone submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. I pray for a heart uh, of the children uh, to honor their parents and a heart of the parents not to exasperate their children uh, or be overly stern with them, but instead uh, to guide them in the way of Jesus as Jesus would. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, employees and employers who uh, are listening, and uh, I pray that you would bring harmony and that the kingdom of God would come into those relationships, even though in the modern day they aren't often played out in the home, they're played out in the workplace, but I pray for that same uh, harmony to come to them as uh, employers uh, honor their employees and treat them with dignity and respect and don't abuse their position, and I pray uh, for employees God, that as they go to work, they would have an awareness of your presence, that they would have an awareness of who it is that they're actually working for, that they would have this view in mind uh, in, in the most mundane of tasks, they would have this view in mind that, hey, I actually am serving Christ. I'm actually answerable to him. I work for him. Uh, would you bless those relationships, God? Would you bless those employee-employer relationships as you show us how to uh, follow you and embody and reflect you in the workplace? Uh, and finally, God, I pray for uh, the marriages that are represented. I pray for the, few, the, the current marriages, and I pray for the future marriages, and I pray that you would bless those as well. God, for every uh, marriage that's in crisis, that's in the crazy cycle, that doesn't uh, Husbands not understanding their wife's need for love and wives not understanding their husband's need for respect uh, that spirals out of control, that's been characterized uh, by a lack of love, by a lack of respect, by uh, tearing each other down. Uh, God, for I, I pray for uh, a, a humility 
uh, to enter those relationships for this posture of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and that in that mutual submission, wives would move toward their husbands um, with, in, in, with a heart to honor them and respect them uh, and honor who they are. And I pray that husbands would be uh, drawn to move toward their wives in love and openness and vulnerability, um, looking at Jesus, looking to you, God, and, and seeing how you love us and what you did for us, and then taking on that same model, that same mindset as they move toward their wives. Uh, I pray that you would bless them, Lord, uh, and keep them in your name and in the power of your spirit. Amen. Hey, one more um, quick resource that I'll share uh, that we had a chance to share at the end of our gathering is um, if you are interested in this topic and uh, what I was saying uh, really applies to your marriage or you want to be prepared for a future marriage and understand these principles, uh, a lot of the, the content um, that I used today was borrowed from loveandrespect.com. Uh, they have over 100 podcasts. They have conference resources. Resources. They've got a book, Love and Respect. Uh, they've got another book called Love and Respect in the Family. And those are all uh, fantastic resources uh, to engage in, in uh, if you have this desire to see God's kingdom come and this, this harmony uh, come into those relationships as Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. Uh, so with that, uh, be blessed in the rest of your day and whatever you're doing. Uh, grace and peace to you.